Brothers and sisters of Christ, it's always a disappointment, as I'm sure you know, to take something that you think is good on the outside only to find out that it's bad on the inside. Like I sent out a messenger the other night, I was cooking potatoes, not of a new bag even, I pulled some potatoes out of there, they looked good, they felt good, but when you cut them open, they were starting to go bad inside already. About half of half of a whole potato was starting to rot out already. Or you go and you grab a piece of fruit and you think it looks fine until you peel a banana and realize it's bruised, or you cut up an apple and you realize it's going brown already. Or you go to a restaurant and you order your favorite burger and you're so excited, you get all the toppings for it, you get it together and you you take a big bite out of it after a long day thinking it's going to hit the spot just to find out that it's not just still really rare, but it's just raw inside. Find a house. A house that is in the place of your dreams. It looks just like you've always wanted it to. But you go inside and you realize that there's mold in the walls. That the corner of the house is actually starting to sink and the foundation is bad. And some of the wood is starting to rot out and there's possibly even termites. How disappointing and sad is that? Just to look good on the outside is not enough. To look good on the outside is not enough if the inside is bad. And God agrees. You see, as church in this world, whether as individuals or as a church as a whole, we're always striving to do good in this world. As we talked about Bible class the last couple of weeks, we've always, we serve in a humble state as our Savior did. But we need to do more than just do good. Jesus demands perfection. God demands perfection. We need to not just do good, we need to be good. The outward actions don't mean anything if the inside is still bad. What we need is a clean heart. A heart that is driven by real repentance to Christ. A heart that is changed. Given a new heart. A new spirit that comes from God so that we can serve Him not just outwardly, but with true obedience from the inside out. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had so much trouble understanding this. They were so steeped in keeping their law and, and making sure that everybody else kept it that they really forgot what God was looking for. They wanted, or he wanted their heart. But their hearts on the inside, well, they looked good on the outside, obeying all of God's commands, being a sticklers about everything, making sure that all the people knew exactly what they were supposed to do. While they were esteemed and looked good on the outside, on the inside, their hearts continued to rot in sinfulness and self-righteousness. It was bad on the inside. And today in the gospel, Jesus was actually trying to get them to understand that. His question then today is actually a very simple question, but because their self-righteousness was shielding everything from them, they couldn't answer it. Now, it's actually Holy Week in our, our text this morning, and Jesus has already marched into the city on Sunday. He's gone into the temple, and he's kicked everyone out who was selling everything. He's turned over the money tables, and he was teaching, and he was healing, and now it's Tuesday, and 
Of course, the teachers of the law, the elders of the people, are angry at him. He's taking their authority away from them. He's taking their popularity away from them. And people are just hanging on his every word. And so they're going to trick him, just like they've tried in the past. They figure if they ask about his authority to do all of these kinds of things, he's either going to A, answer it's from God, and they can accuse him of blasphemy, or B, it's, you know, he's going to say it's his own, and then he's going to be degraded in the eyes of the people. So of course, they go up to him, and they ask him, where'd you get this authority? Who gave it to you? And Jesus says, let me ask you a question first, and I'll tell you if you can answer my question. Now, his question wasn't meant to to cause confrontation, really. His question wasn't meant to trick them or even be difficult. Jesus' question was actually fairly simple and straightforward. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was this authority from God or was John's authority man-made? We know from Jesus where John's authority came from. You know, earlier in Matthew 11, Jesus had told the people about John, and he said, what did you guys go out to see in the wilderness? A prophet? Yes, of course you did, Jesus says. And he said, more than that, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. But elders of the people, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they couldn't answer Jesus. They, they were in a conundrum because if they were to tell Jesus that John's authority came from God, then they should believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and they should call, listen to his call to repentance and listen to his truth. But if they said it was man-made, they were afraid of the people because all the people loved John, and they thought he was a prophet from God, and so they didn't know what to do. It was either to deny Jesus right there and then, or it was to make the people angry at them, the people that they worked so hard to look good in front of. They just told Jesus, we don't know. We don't know. They refused to admit in front of everybody, especially Jesus, that they needed to repent. That's what this was. It was a call of repentance from Jesus. It was an opportunity for them to see who they really were and to see who Jesus was and to say, yes, you are the Messiah, the one that John has pointed out to us. But they refused to admit that Jesus was their Messiah. They refused to admit that they needed any sort of help from their sinfulness. They refused to say anything that was going to ruin their image before the people who held them in high esteem for their dedication to God's word and law. And so they just told Jesus, we don't know. Really? That answer is nothing but outright denial of the truth. It's refusal to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, blatantly. A Savior who was there to help them. It was a simple answer that Jesus wanted them to come up with. Jesus just wanted them to see that he was there to help them. Jesus just wanted them to repent, realize that they needed the help, and that he could do it for them. Not to, to bring them, uh, bring forward about their good looks and how well they did in society and all of this kind of thing. He just wanted to lead them to true repentance so that he could save them and make them right. And they refused. They refused to confront themselves and to confront the fact that they were sinners. 
that they held their ground and asserted that their self-righteousness was a good thing before God. Do you ever find it interesting when you read the scriptures what Jesus can actually do when he reads people's thoughts in their hearts? You know, we see it a couple times in scripture where Jesus reads the hearts and minds of people when they don't even know it. And we can really see what the people are thinking. I can't read your hearts and minds. But if God were here, and he would read your heart and your mind, and we were to see things through his eyes and his mind, what would we see? Would it match the actions that we have on the outside every single day? Understand this, we're, we're human beings, mere humans who can be easily fooled. We can even fool ourselves every day. As we tell ourselves, we know what we should do. We hear what we're supposed to do at church. We know how we're supposed to act as we hear it from friends, and we hear it in Sunday school, we hear it from pastor, as we read our Bibles at home. We know everything we're supposed to do. We know how we're supposed to act. And as we sit here and we hear a sermon, maybe our answer is, Jesus Christ tries everything that I do. I know that for sure. And so I know that I'm okay. But to be often, as Paul said in our second lesson today, just stop to examine ourselves. Do we do that enough? Stop to examine our lives at every juncture. And honestly ask ourselves, why? What other answers might we come up with if we did that? Well, I know this because that's just what Christians do, and it wouldn't look good for me to do otherwise. I'm really tired of having to do this, and I hope they realize how much they should be appreciating everything I do. Why can't other people just come up with some ideas or do some things once in a while? I don't have time for this, but I'm going to do it anyway, because otherwise we're going to talk about what I'm supposed to be doing instead. Works that are motivated by such things, works that are built on such thoughts, are empty. They're actions that are propped up with self-righteousness, which are no different than the religious leaders of Jesus' day, no different than the ethical behavior of any other unchurched person or unbeliever in this world. There's nothing to them. That is not true obedience. That's not the obedience that God is looking for. And Jesus' short parable today that he gives to the chief priests and to us, makes it very clear if you have any question on that. Even they had to admit to Jesus that it was the first son who did the right thing. The one who said no at first, but then changed his mind. The one who regretted his decision, who repented, and with a change of heart said, I'm going to do what my father asked. Not the one who told the father everything he wanted to hear and still did nothing. Is he anything otherwise? is not true obedience or acceptable to God, no matter how good it is on the outside. God has been calling his people to repentance for this since the beginning of time. We go back to Adam, oh, not Adam, Cain and Abel, sorry. And you remember Cain and Abel, they both made sacrifices to God, and yet God was not pleased with Cain, because Cain's heart was not in the right place. He even told Cain, are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? We hear in the psalm plenty of times that God does not desire your sacrifice, so people would have brought it. 
Psalm 51 says, Open my lips, Lord, my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Even in Ezekiel this morning, we hear from the Lord that it's the soul who sins that will die. And as he calls them to repentance, he promises them a new spirit and a new heart so that they can live in true obedience as God wants them to. And so this morning, Jesus calls us to repentance as well. To consider our sinfulness, not just on the outside, but on the inside. To consider that difficult task of examining ourselves. Nobody wants to examine themselves and tell themselves that they are miserable, horrendous people who deserve nothing but eternal punishment from God. But Jesus calls us to do so this morning so that we can recognize how much we need him so that he can help us. We can't fix it ourselves. If we could, we never would have been in this predicament where God would call us to repent. He, Jesus, called this morning, repent. See the law and, and recognize what Jesus has done to fix that for you. Recognizing that he gives you a new heart and a new spirit to live in true obedience as God desires. Because Jesus is yet, our actions mean nothing unless we're cleansed on the inside first through the blood of Jesus Christ, all the way down to the deepest recess of our being. And he's done it. He's the authority that John was pointing to, greater than his own authority. He said, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of this man. The one that John came and, and, and showed as the way of righteousness, as Jesus even said this morning. He says, John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you didn't repent and believe him. Now, clearly, the tax collectors and prostitutes are not saved by their own way of life, but by the way of righteousness that John points out. One about whom John looked at and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Lamb, for our sake, calls us to repentance and to see our horrendousness and come to Him, not to, not to do better, but to be made better. Because as our verse of the day says today, eventually every knee is going to bow before the Lord. And thanks to Jesus Christ, we can do so in joy and excitement and not fear. It's not going to be a day where our lips are, Lord, I tried my best. Lord, I did better than that person over there. Lord, I don't think I was so bad. Or, or uh, God, I, I did some pretty good things too. But it's going to be a day where our lips are shouting and proclaiming praise for Christ. Where Christ is our best. Where Christ has done better for us and where Christ did nothing wrong and we are clothed and saved with all of that. Brothers and sisters, repent. Our actions are only so good in this world, but when it comes to God, He wants more. He wants to change you inside. He wants to call you to true obedience which comes from the gift of the Holy Spirit to give us a new heart and the new uh, uh, spirit that he wants us to have. So that as we live for him, service to him is not an obligation, but the highest pleasure. 
It's not just something Christians do, but it's something that Christians are. So repent. Recognize who you are, but recognize that God's love never runs out and is always there to forgive those who come to him in repentance. There to give you Christ, the one for whom we live, through whom we live, and the one who is our only way of righteousness. Amen.